Hello and welcome to the Bucket List Gamers podcast. I am Jay and I'm once again joined by Eddie. Hello. And this week we are looking at three sort of real-time strategy games, starting with Lemmings, which is 46 on the list and came out in 1991. Then UFO Enemy Unknown, which is 65 on the list and came out in 1994. And then Command and Conquer, which is number 80 and came out in 1995. So the last on the list, but probably the one that that define the genre. So we've decided to save that for last and, and go in chronological order this time. So we're starting with Lemmings. Do you have any experience with Lemmings in your youth? I've, I've played it a bit, to be fair. I mean, I was, I'll be honest with you, more of a Worms guy, really. I preferred Worms if I was going to play one of those types of games. And I know mm. Worms and Lemmings are quite different, but they are sort of from the same era and were quite, similar yeah they've got more in common than you think i suppose yeah when you when you look at it that way and they're both sort of real-time strategy whereas worms gives you a lot more time to think about what you're doing even though you are a timer lemmings is quite a frantic one i think yeah i'd I'd say it was frantic but at the same time it's quite slow if you go back and play it now it is ridiculously slow but because the lemmings are permanently in motion Whereas the worms, you have to physically move them um, yeah. and to fire your weapons in order to complete your turn. Whereas the lemmings, just, just the little buggers keep moving constantly and you're having to build stuff or blow stuff up to get them through to the end of the course sort of thing. Otherwise, they're just in traditional lemming fashion, which apparently isn't an actual thing. Um, they don't actually commit suicide, <laughs> uh, real lemmings. But yes, they are. That's where the... Th- I think this is where the rumour or the um, old wives tale of lemmings jumping off cliffs comes from i think it was a thing before the game i think that's why they chose lemmings for the game but yeah it's nonsense i think quite a few of them plunge to the death because they they burrow don't they real lemmings yeah so they burrow under the snow and in in an attempt to escape from stuff they often burrow straight off the end of a cliff without stopping so they sort of do do it but they don't do it for the reasons people assume they do they've just not not just got fed up with living or um (laughs) they've not got 27 episodes into a podcast looking at games they don't want to play and decided to chuck themselves (laughs) off a cliff Uh, they, they actually do it by accident but yeah lemmings was i was obsessed with lemmings when i was younger i didn't have it and i really wanted it i'd seen it on games master or something along those lines and i really wanted to play it and then somebody i had a game gear at the time and somebody in the village was selling a load of games and i said oh have you got lemmings I'm like yeah so i took my mum into buying it off them i don't think we even paid much because it was just like a cartridge it wasn't boxed or manual or anything and then i proceeded to play it and get incredibly stressed out for the rest of the time i bothered with it because it's such a stressful it's not a fun game or a relaxing game at all because yeah, like you say, they plod along. They don't move particularly fast unless you turn the speed up. But because they are constantly moving and you have very limited resources per level, I mean, you, you use one resource in the wrong place and you have to restart the level in a lot of them. It's that tight with how many resources you get. And yeah, it's just frustrating because they don't do what you want them to do a lot of the time either. You'll tell them to start building some steps and they'll hit an arbitrary wall that you can't see and just stop. And then you've wasted one of your building resources. 
So yeah, the, the levels get more and more difficult, but some of them are just unbelievable. You maybe let a couple of lemmings through, then you put a stopper lemming in place so that none of the others can come through while you build bridges or blowtorch through walls or form passages. Because if the other lemmings come past, hit the wall and turn around, they'll plunge into a pit. So you have to make sure the route's clear. But then you have to bomb the lemming who is blocking them there's no way to turn a blocker into a normal lemming again so you have to have a casualty and if any of them happen to be walking near him when he blows up they'll blow up as well so it was so stressful to try and keep them and get the quota that you needed and i remember one level it's probably an infamous one it certainly was for me you start on one platform with all the lemmings pouring out the door on a very small platform so you have to put blockers on either end and you let one lemming through and then he builds a bridge. It's literally, you have to build a bridge from one side of the level to the other. And if you mess up, if you don't hit that lemming with another build instruction, the second he finishes the previous one, he'll just plunge off the end to his death. And you only have one bomb to blow up the guy that's stopping all the others. So unless you get that perfectly all the way along, and even then, if you don't time it exactly right, he misses the platform and then you're screwed anyway because you've run out of building steps so yeah it, it's almost traumatizing for me lemmings because i think it did scar me a bit from childhood because it was so stressful and and it was even worse because all this time for months and months i'd wanted to play it because it looked like this fun little game with these cute little mascots and then i got it and it was just traumatizing and i, I don't think i could play lemmings now i don't think i could physically go back to it no um when you compare it to other games of the both the genre and the t- time period, it the, the interface was incredibly janky, like you say. And there are games that have taken that mantle and run with it. There's a Portal Builder, which is like mm. a spin-off of, from Portal, where you literally have to build bridges and stuff like that with, at, at pace. And it is a faster-paced game than, than Lemmings is. But the interface makes it bearable. This interface was at a point where it, it was probably too early for them to do something like this with it. It was a brave step, really. And considering how much favorability it's sort of garnered over the years, you wonder why, looking at it, because it doesn't play very well and it's just held in such high esteem. And you think, you obviously can't... It, it's rose-tinted glasses, I'm assuming, because mm. you go back and play it now, and like you say, it is so stressful because it's lethargic and fast at the same time. It's And with combined with a horrendous interface, it just doesn't gel well at all. I think the thing to consider with it as well that a lot of people don't... This came out for consoles and handhelds first. I assume there was a PC port at some point because... Did you say before this it's been ported to about 30 different systems over the years? Yeah, between 1991 and 2005. So that's how popular it is. They still ported it up to about 18 years ago. But yeah, 30 different ports. Um, But the early ones, for me on a Game Gear, I think it was on Mega Drive. I don't know if it went to the Nintendo consoles or not initially. Nez. Yeah, so it was on there. You're moving that point-and-click arrow with a D-pad, which isn't particularly precise in the first place. And these lemmings are about two pixels, especially on a Game Gear screen. So to hit them, to, to select the command you want to use from the little toolbar at the bottom, then move your cursor up and over to them and pinpoint accurate get on them, because they're all moving constantly, unless you 
pause and then when you pause you can't do anything so you can just survey the land and can't click anything you've got to line it up perfectly and then click them and then sometimes like i say time the clicks so that you don't waste resource by starting something before the other thing's finished and it was just horrendous it was so tricky to do yeah like a two pixel character on the screen and you've got to hit it with a d-pad it's like playing duck hunt but with the nes controller instead of the gun but it's it's a lot more difficult because at least the ducks were fairly big. These things are absolutely tiny. And then when there's multiple ones of them all milling about together and you want to pick a specific one, the amount of times that I went to blow up the blocker and just picked a random lemming that was walking around and then he walks into a crowd of them, blows them all up, blows a big hole in the floor that they all fall in, and then you have to start the whole level again. So... Yeah, it's not just that the interface was janky and that it was quite a tricky game to get your timing down. It was the fact that you had to then control it with equipment that wasn't designed for moving a mouse pointer around accurately. Yeah, and which all led to the stress of Lemmings 1. Because they did more, didn't they? I'm sure they've done like Lemmings 2 and they did a PlayStation 1, a 3D PlayStation 1, where it's like, I'm sure it's front on, so you are one of the Lemmings, you get their viewpoint. And that was nauseating as well. Yeah, they did a they did a Christmas one. They did mm. I think they did the sequel which was Oh No More Lemmings. Um and then they <laughs> which sums it up perfectly to be quite honest <laughs> with you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um and yeah, they did quite a load uh, about five or six spin offs, I think, or sequels to it. Um and to make matters worse with the obvious pixel sizes on the screen, some of these ports were two player. So I don't know whether it was in the original. So you had like a split, a vertical split down the center of the screen and you could have two player mode on it, which makes things worse because then you're halving the amount of screen you can put the pixels on. I was like, oh, good. Even less screen to work with. How did that work then? Was it a race? I would assume so. So who could get the most lemmings quick, quickest? Because it's obviously not co-op if it's split screen. And there's not really another element in it unless it's who gets the most lemmings home safe. In which case, you could just play the level one player twice and add it up yourself. Yeah, yeah. and have probably more fun. <laughs> that seems like a bizarre choice for a two-player game. Nah, Lem- Lemmings was a... It does hold that place in my heart because I was obsessed with it for so long. And I do think the characters have got merit because they're really well designed. And you see them, especially on the box art, where one of them's got a little umbrella and he's drifting in and... There's one doing the sort of stop in motion. And yeah, I think the characters themselves are really coolly designed. I just think they're in a pretty bad game by today's standards at the very least. Back then, it was something a bit new and a bit special. So it worked and I can see why people enjoyed it. And I did I did get some enjoyment out of it. So I wouldn't have carried on playing it. I'd have just turned it off after the first level. But I did persist with it quite a lot. I played it quite a bit when I first got it. But it's just so stressful, and it these days especially, I I know I wouldn't have the patience for it. It would just drive me insane to play that game these days. And I think they've not done, like you say, they've not done a port since 2005. I don't think they've put any new games out since then, new Lemmings games. Um, but there is a quote actually in, in the Retro Gamer magazine, if I can just find it. I presume this is the guy who created the game. So it's from a guy called Mike Daly, who I presume... It might just be a fan. It might just be a retro gamer fan. Mm -hmm. But he said, it's great that many gamers love Lemmings. I'd love Sony to do more with them. 
we believe that the characters could be used in a more than in a more than the current style, which doesn't make any sense. They're full of character and are ripe for different genres. I don't know what genre he wants to stick a lemming in that isn't FPS. lemmings. <laughs> yeah. Just enemies in a in a Doom game or something. I've just looked up the two-player mode, and it sounds even worse than I thought. So basically, you it was a vertical split screen, and you were both on the same map. Right. And you could both... You had upwards of 20 lemmings on the screen at one time each. You could only select your own lemmings... But bear in mind that they were obviously very messily laying, overlaying each other and on a smaller section of screen. So they must have been a nightmare to select. And you had a base, basically, at either side of the map. And your goal was to get the most amount of your own lemmings into your base. I mean, that just must have been horrific. Could you blow the other lemmings up? Like, could I blow your lemmings up, do you think, if I put a bomb on one of mine? Or do you it, think it was... doesn't even... It doesn't even say that. It just says the winner get, is the one that gets most into their base, but they do have that the explosion horrible. ability on there. Hmm. I mean, that, it sounds like a really bad version of Worms. Yeah. Just take out the opposition, but with these things that you've no control over that have got full autonomy and just wander around until you tell them <laughs> what to do. Oh, yeah, that sounds that sounds fantastic. Yeah, sounds like an absolute riot. I mean, it is it is sort of a nice thing um, to have because it is a very it's a British made game. Yeah, well, yeah, it's a UK made game because I think it was developed in Dundee. Hmm. Because there is a apparently there is a statue in the park in the centre of Dundee that is dedicated to lemmings, so it's like a big stone obelisk sort of thing, and it's got little brass. Uh, three brass lemmings climbing up it, I think. Oh, it's like two on choice. one on the ground, one halfway up it, and one on the top. Um, so that's quite nice, and it's right opposite where their office used to be. Um, so that's that's kind of cute. And apparently they were on postage stamps in 2020, celebrating British-made video games. I don't think there's anything that hasn't been on a postage stamp these no, days. No, probably not. There's, they seem to be doing. There was a set the other day I got emailed about because I I bought a gaming set. It might be the one with lemmings in it. I know it's it's British games and there's a sensible soccer one I think, uh, and it comes as a full set. So maybe that's the one with lemmings in. But yeah, because I bought that set about eight years ago, I now get mercilessly spammed for every set that they do, and some of them are alright. But yeah, got, there was one recently, and I just thought yeah they'll, they'll put anything on a stamp these days. I'm surprised they've not put like the tread of shoes on there. <laughs> because they've done pretty much everything else. Or the, the various piles of dog shit that you see on the street, the stamp collection. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever seen this. There was um it's sort of a bit nightmare fuely. So they did it must have been for one of the releases of Lemmings. They got a person in a Lemmings costume to go around and be at video game stores when it launched. And it looks like they've repurposed one of those old Wombles costumes from you know, the music video that, like, remember you're a Womble? Because <laughs> it's yeah. they're, they're quite similar in appearance, aren't they? When you look at them, they've got the long snouts, and and it, I, I can't I, I can't find the picture for the life of me. I tried Googling it before we started recording this, but I, re, I distinctly remember that in, in being, like, on the news and stuff when the new Lemmings was launching, and, and it looked like this tatty old costume that they'd coloured yellow and given a blue put a blue t-shirt over and and given a green mop of hair and it just 
it looked like somebody had knocked it up in a back room somewhere. And <laughs> it was one of those things that if you saw it, like, you know, in New York, where they have all those knockoff characters that try and take pictures with you, it wouldn't have, it would have looked too, like, rammy to even appear in that area. It was that <laughs> bad. I think the only way they could have made that any worse was if they got them to throw themselves off buildings to, to, to raise awareness for lemmings. It's like, oh yeah, just, just a random person pancaking themselves onto the floor outside a blockbuster video. Don't forget to buy lemmings. <laughs> they did it for Sonic 2, didn't they? Do you remember all the Tails hype? Yeah. And they got people in those ratty, horrible Tails costumes that... <laughs> that somehow looked about 10 years old, even though the character had just been invented that year. <laughs> yeah. So it was on. It was along the lines of that, but much more... It, I, I don't know, I want to say regional. You know, like when you get regional news and it's just a bit low-grade compared to real news, all the stuff that's on it. <laughs> it was like yeah. that. It's like somebody had gone, oh, we, we need something. Knock up a Lemmings costume, quick. <laughs> what have you got? Oh, we've got this old Wombles one. Just cut the nose off the end of it and dye it yellow. Uh, and unfortunately we're going to need 30 of them for up and down the country <laughs> so. and then we'll get them all together in one space and just make them walk backwards and forwards oh god uh, yeah lemmings let's give it a score I've had enough I've had enough of lemmings for now it's not one I'd ever go back and play I mean I think I'd be tempted to try the Playstation 1 because from what I remember it's very strange and so I'd be tempted to try that just to see how it varies from the original one. Because I remember a friend having it and I saw like 10 minutes of gameplay and thought, this doesn't seem like a Lemmings game. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I never got any more out of it than that. So be curious to play that one again. But in terms of Lemmings 1, it's a difficult one for me because I do, like I say, I've still got that. I can still sort of feel that child childlike innocence where I was desperate to get hold of that game and play it, and I can sort of block out the bit where it was horrible and sent me into anxiety-filled gaming sessions. So it's a difficult one for me. So I'll let you score this one, I think, and then I'll chip in if I think it's too high or too low. Like you say, it is very hard to gauge, really, because although it, it it isn't an RTS, really, it's not, no. in, not in the traditional sense, but then you read other articles from people who, like, I think it was one of the developers for World of Warcraft actually said that the first one, so Warcraft um, Orcs and Humans or something, mm. or Orcs and Vikings or something like that said that a lot of the design was heavily based on um, Lemmings so they they were playing Lemmings and saw the like 30 odd Lemmings on the screen at once and were like, oh, wouldn't this be great if it was like 30 Orcs on the screen at once or 30 yeah. Vikings on the screen at once. So it is, it's a massively influential game, just not in its own genre, because I think it's kind of unique Yeah, in its own right. I can't think of another game like it that isn't a direct knockoff of Lemmings. And even then, I can't really yeah. think of one. I'm sure there will have been ones where they just did exactly the same thing, but with different characters. But I think they got in a bit of trouble as well, didn't they, with it? I'm just thinking on. I think they got a bit of flack for it because a lot of the levels are set in hell. Yeah. So you, you're building from one demonic structure to the other, and I'm sure there's even signs in it that are like, welcome to hell. So I think they did get a bit of flack from the religious side of things for, for doing that. So a bit of respect there for 
having the balls to put that in and not worrying about the consequences because they didn't have to. It could have just been a level with fire. It could have been inside a volcano or something, but they went all out and did that. So yeah, a bit of respect for them for that. Yeah, it is. It's it's all on its own. You can't compare it to anything really. I mean, we've put it in the real time strategy because it's in real time and you sort of managing resources a little bit, not to the level you do in Command and Conquer and and UFO and that kind of thing, but you're definitely managing the resources. They're just not listening to everything you say. Yeah. It's probably the best way to put it. I don't know. I'd, I'd be tempted to go around the sort of between 65 and 70 somewhere. Do you want to say 67? Put it yeah, at the we'll midway go, point. We'll go 67. Let's pop that on there. I think that's fair enough because it, it's obviously got its fans because it's still talked about today and they've not done a port of it since 2005. And it still gets merch. That's the other yeah. thing. You still see regular merchandise. And I think First for Figures, again, I mean, I know they will literally make a First for Figures statue out of anything these days, but the, I'm pretty sure there was recently, alongside a couple of Zelda ones, a Lemmings one that was announced for pre-order by the end of this year. And it's just like, Lemmings fans... Yeah, where have you pulled that one from? I'm surprised there's not been a Funko. Mm. Although they probably don't lend themselves very well to Funkos because they've not got square heads, have they? So I don't know how they'd no, that's true. They'd get the head onto it. They could do the little blue T-shirt and the green hair, but the rest of it, it wouldn't look fun. Which Funko have done some where they're not Funko stylized at all and the heads are different shapes. So they could do it, but maybe it's Sony not wanting to... Uh, kick the hornet's nest and remind people it exists so that they don't have to make another game. <laughs> yeah. Right, that's that one done. So let's move on to UFO Enemy Unknown, which was for the PC. I thought it was a console game, but it was for the PC originally. I don't know if it got ported onto SNES. I seem to recall playing it on an SNES, but I could be wrong. Yeah, I remember playing it on... I think I remember playing it on a PlayStation. But I could be wrong. Maybe I was playing it on a PC because I certainly didn't own it for a SNES. So if it was on a PC, it would have been on an emulator anyway. So maybe I had the PC version because I did. I have played this game before and it's a bit of a mixed bag for me because it looks fantastic. The The cutscenes on it are amazing. The little opening cutscenes where it, it almost does it like a comic book, doesn't it? Where it cuts it into panels as things are happening. Really liked that. And I really like the idea of the game. But it is just so complicated. It's so micromanaging in this version of it. So for those of you who don't know, UFO Enemy Unknown later became XCOM, which I think is also called Enemy Unknown, isn't it? It they is, keep yeah. the They kept the sub-tag and changed the initial... Because there's mention of XCOM in this one, isn't there? It's in the menus and stuff. So it, the word does XCOM, get used. I think XCOM is actually like a... a not necessarily a remake or a remaster, but sort of like a reboot and a reintroduction of the series to, in with sort of modern sensibilities to yeah. it. So I think it is just the same game. They've just had to rebrand it a little. So the difference for me was, because I've played XCOM, love XCOM, XCOM is a lot more, you don't have to think about all the sub-menus and stuff. You can do if you want to, but there's ways where you can just pick a standard loadout, pick a team, and go and play the level, and you might struggle a bit more than somebody who's put all the nuance in. With UFO Enemy Unknown, you have to do all the 
buying the weapons, hiring the people, equipping them. And it there's, there's about 30 sub-menus on it where you can buy and sell and collect and all this. And it can take you upwards of 10 minutes before you get to any actual action, just going through all the menus and setting everything up. And at, at my age, when that came out, the age I was, I wouldn't have entertained that because I'd have just wanted to get straight into the action. And then as I got older, I probably would have. And now I've gone, I've reverted back to that sort of like 12-year-old sense of, I just want to get this going. I don't want to see cutscenes. I don't want to mess about with submenus. I just want to play the action bit of the game. If this is an action game, I want to play the action bit. If it was a manage your troops through menus and all that kind of thing, fair enough, I'd do it. But that all seems like a sub bit to get to the action now. And I just don't have the energy to go through 11 minutes of setting it up to then go into the levels, because it's a hard game as well, go into the levels and just see all the people that I've spent all this time setting up get slaughtered and then have to start again, because that tends to be what happens. I've Even on XCOM, that's what happens a lot of the time. I'll get attached to a soldier and then he'll just get ripped to pieces in the next level. Then I don't feel like playing anymore. Yeah, it is the original uh, UFO enemy unknown. Is it's like it was built in Microsoft Access. Mm. It's just sub menu after sub menu, and the fact that it switches between two sort of different scenarios. So you get your overworld planetary view, where you can rotate the globe, sort of thing, and like attend to sort of little specific outbreaks of UFO invasions and stuff like that on like the world map, a literal world map. Um, and then you go into your sub-screen of managing your troops, and then you go into the main missions, which is turn-based, and you can move your party. While it is colourful, it is migraine-inducing, looking at those screens. <laughs> when you when you think how clean the aesthetic is for stuff like Command & Conquer, so it's a similar isometric layout, but it is so... It's vibrant which is weird because it's set in like cities and stuff like that, and you'd expect it to be a lot of grey uh, and brown, but it's not. There's a lot of really bright, contrasting colours on there, but it's also so cluttered and so jumbled together. You, it just gives you a headache looking at it. And it's like, Jesus Christ, guys, can just pick a tone and stick with it. But yeah, it's a weird old game. Every single menu is like in a, ne- a different neon colour, isn't it? Yeah. So you first menu open up neon orange, right, I'll go into this one, neon pink. Oh, here's neon green. And it is, yeah, you just get all this colour wash. And then the actual, a lot of the actual action bits, it's got a fuzz filter on it. So when you're moving your soldiers around and stuff, it's like you're watching it on a really old VHS tape. And I don't know what they were going for with that. Are we meant to be watching them on security cameras and controlling them remotely? But it just, it, it, it detracts from the game a bit because you constantly see it you notice it all the time but it's it's not a bad game it is once you get past that micromanagement aspect of it it's as fun as the XCOM ones are in terms of the the strategy and the turn based attack and defense and you even still get the the things like where people have a special ability that shoots an alien if it moves mid turn so you get an extra shot in and and all that kind of thing is born out of this game and then in XCOM they just took everything, made it look far nicer. Took away, I don't know, 70% of the submenus and just made it a lot cleaner and then get you into the action a lot quicker. So I think, yeah, it's, it's you can see that it's 
if you watch somebody play this game for 10 minutes, well, say 15, because it'll take them time to get out of the submenus, watch somebody play it for 15 minutes, you'll immediately know, oh, this is XCOM. This is just the precursor to XCOM. It's obviously the same game, but just the primitive version, essentially. And then some people will prefer this version because of how much you can micromanage it. If you're into that kind of thing and you're one of those person people that like to control things to the minutest of details, you'll absolutely love this game and you'll probably spend hours on it. And it's it's a grind because every level is difficult. On XCOM, the, the earlier levels are quite easy, aren't they? And it lulls you in a bit. And then you'll hit a level where you just get ripped to shreds. Whereas on this, you start the first level and you get ripped to shreds and then you have to figure out what you've done wrong and just keep doing it. So it's 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 a difficult learning curve on it. But if you like micromanagement and simulators and that kind of thing, this is probably perfect for you. Yeah, it, the, the new one, they gave it um, adaptive difficulty. So it, if you did better in it and you were com- clearing missions with no losses and things like that and you were clearing them quite well because you're quite good at RTS, then it scaled up the difficulty and it gives you like percentage chance to hit and stuff like that. And I've played XCOM and it's been like I'm stood point blank range with this alien that's the size of a barn and I've got a shotgun pointed practically against its face and it says 96% chance to hit and I miss because I've done well in the first couple of missions and I've not lost anybody, at which point the enemy just dominates you and you lose all your best men and you go back to recruiting, whereas this one just kicks your teeth in from the start. (laughs) It's like, if you're not prepared, if you're not happy with how you've gone through the Microsoft Access team setup, it is kicking your teeth in regardless. Um, But, I mean, it's got a good pedigree behind it because it's developed by, I think his name's Julian Gollop, and he's developed loads of RTSs, literally loads of them. He's developed Rebel Star, Phoenix Point, Lords of Chaos, and stuff like that. And randomly, Assassin's Creed Three Liberation in the middle of it all. <laughs> so he's developed like he's developed like forty or fifty RTS, and then Assassin's Creed Liberation in the middle of it all. And you're saying, why? <laughs> why did they yeah. come to you for that one? Ooh, yeah, it's again, it's going to be a hard one for me to score because I love what's come from it, but I don't particularly love this first game. I mean, we were talking about other games that wouldn't exist if this didn't exist, and the Mario versus Rabbids one is, as we were talking last week, where you just basically stick a Mario skin on a game, that is XCOM, but with a Mario skin over the top of it. A bit more forgiving, a bit bit cleverer with the boss battles, but other than that, you've got pretty much the same game. And yeah, if we didn't have UFO Enemy Unknown, we wouldn't have Mario vs. Rabbids, which I really do enjoy as a game. I think it's a, a really good addition. To say it's got the Rabbids in it, who normally I avoid like the plague, it's not actually a bad game. Yeah, I wonder what it sort of gave them the <laughs> kick in that direction, really, because it's an odd pairing at best. And it was at a point where Rabbids had literally disappeared into obscurity. Because I mean, I think the pre uh, like the predecessor to it was back on the Wii. That was mm. when the Rabbids first properly came out with Rayman, and then yeah. they just dropped off the face of the planet for ten years, and then they went, "Oh, do you know what? This will pair really well with." Because they're essentially like minions, yeah, like well, small, are, really yeah. annoying things that go blah a lot. And they thought, "Oh, I know, we'll pair it with Mario. That that's that's like a match made in heaven." That is it. why is it? <laughs> It's actually quite clever, the storyline in it as well. 
because they fully acknowledge that these things are hideously annoying <laughs> and have and have no place in the Mario universe, but then somehow crowbar them into it. It is it is quite clever how they've done that. But my issue with that game is why did they not put Rayman in it? Yeah, if they've they've obviously got the franchise, he's part of that franchise, so it can't be a licensing issue. So why not put like Mario meeting Rayman and then you can recruit him into your team and he has a different set of abilities to everyone else? It just seems strange that they've gone, all right, well, we'll have that bit of Rayman that no one really likes and just leave him and and completely ignore him. And I think the team building uh, bit was a bit odd as well because you had to pick two from each team. So if you picked Mario and Luigi, you couldn't then pick Peach. You had to pick... And they were like rabbits dressed up as Mario and Luigi. It was just odd the way they did it. It was just really weird. I mean, I don't think I ever changed it because I'd leveled up the first four that I got. So when I unlocked new characters, I looked at the stats and just went, well, they're not as good and I don't want to spend resources making them as good. So unless a fight literally needed an ability from one of them, I never changed my team. So I never encountered that issue. But no, it's a good one. I do enjoy that game. And and I never thought I would. That's the thing. It surprised me. I picked it up fairly cheap, and then I played it and thought, oh, this isn't actually half bad. And I don't know if I finished it, but I got close, because there's little puzzles in between the fights as well, isn't there? So it keeps it fresh in that you get little push block puzzles and switch turning on and off puzzles and and that kind of thing in between, which aren't, for 90% of it, I don't think they're necessary. I think they're to find more unlockables. But the unlockables help you in battle, don't they? You can unlock better weapons and upgrades and all that kind of thing. So it's usually worth doing. So yeah, that's one that we owe to UFO Enemy Unknown, which again, I need to we need to give it credit for that it might not be the most fun game looking back at it because of all the, the deep diving into menus and all that kind of thing. But it did a lot that, that influenced stuff going forward. And I think if that is your type of game, you'd give it 100 because it, gives you everything you want there's no downside if you do like micromanagement yeah i mean the one thing i will say is that the XCOM series sort of lost its way a little bit back in the mid 2010s because it they released XCOM declassified which for some inexplicable reason they turned into a third person shooter well, i was like it's it, it's crap um, it genuinely is. It's it's not their best entry, put it that way. Um, and when they first announced it, that everyone was in uproar about the fact that they were doing it, um, and it was you know ruining a classic game series because they were they were just going with what was popular at the time, which was Gears of War. So yeah. the, the amount of Gears of War spin-offs there was, and it was essentially it was a cover based shooter with aliens and people from like the mid 1920s 1930s sort of thing um so you had really crap guns and stuff like that but um and then they went i think they listened to the feedback because then they released XCOM 2 yeah um and again. yeah despite that fact though they're all a bit culty compared to sort of like Command and Conquer and Lemmings which are sort of like insane amount of appeal um despite how janky they both are and we'll get on to command and conquer in a bit but XCOM, despite how polished it is as a series really it's very culty it's not 
like a mainstream hit at all. When one comes out, it doesn't come out to much fanfare. It's just like the people that like XCOM are the ones that buy it yeah. and hype it up, and that's it. Yeah, it's one of those games that if you said to someone, oh, have you tried XCOM? More likely than not, they'll go, no, what is it? Yeah. And it, it does deserve to be more well-known because if you're into RTS games, it's a pretty good one. It's a different take on it. But it works really well, and and I do enjoy it until, like, say, the point that everyone in my team gets wiped out by one enemy, and then I have to go back to the drawing board, and then it's frustrating, and and you do get attached to them. Like, if you've done like five or six missions with these people, and you've leveled them up, and you get to know the names and stuff, for them to then just get absolutely obliterated and and it be permadeath is quite depressing when you're playing through it and I, I think that's probably what kills a lot of people's play play time of it that'll happen and they'll just not have the the energy or the inclination to build a new team back up and go go again so what do we want to give ufo enemy unknown I, i'm of a mind to put it on a par or there or thereabouts for lemmings because again it's influential because it was quite a unique spin on the rts and again it was when rts was finding its feet as a genre it did get ported to the playstation um it was on dos and i think it was on the amiga Hmm. Uh, horrendous as that would have looked um (laughs) but yeah so it wasn't widespread really i think it only got like two or three ports to different consoles but again it like i say it was when rts was in its infancy and it's, it's spun off so many different genres. I mean, you look at things like StarCraft, wouldn't have had anything like it outside of if it wasn't for the likes of XCOM and Command & Conquer. Yeah, and then again, another one that I always come to for this, it's not quite the same, but I don't think it would exist without this game, is um, FTL, Faster Than Light. I don't know if you've played yeah. that. It's not the same as in you don't have the turn... Well, you do have the turn base when you're fighting other ships, almost. But then you have the ship management and who to put in what room based on their abilities. And then when you get invaders, whether you send somebody or you protect them because you need them something else. And and all that element of it, I think, again, is a game that is massively overlooked. Not many people know about Faster Than Light, but it is so much fun. Ruthless, nearly impossible in some... I mean, even on the easiest difficulty, I've completed it once, and I've played that game so much. But even on the most standard difficult, like the easiest difficulty going, I still get obliterated like half half the time because I'll push my luck and go to a couple more nebulas than I should do or encounter something, and rather than running away, I'll fight it and then just get annihilated. Um, but yeah, if you, if you've never played Faster Than Light, I think you can pick it up on PC for like, pocket change is like seven or eight quid maybe when it's on sale and it is so worth it because it's so much fun and you can pick all different ship types and crew loadouts and yeah it's just such a fun game it's complete random it's almost it is roguelite isn't it in a sense of yeah you never get the same map twice and you never know what you're going to encounter but it's one of those where you can get better because you sort of figure out what weapons are best to keep and what to get rid of and what resources you're going to need because I think it, I figured out that rockets are quite a good thing to have. First couple of games, I was I don't have a rocket launcher, so what's the point in me hoarding rockets? But then in the later areas, a lot of people want to trade rockets for stuff you do actually need. 
and I'd just binned them all and sold them for dirt cheap. So yeah, it's uh, it's one of those where you do get better every playthrough. And it, and it is one of those just one more go games. Yeah. Because of how addictive it is, and it, it is so intuitive. Normal asset management games, um, they're a bit limited in what you can do, so you can only click on certain things and you can only use certain things in the environment. Whereas if you want, if you get bored, you can literally lock all your crew in like the med bay and depressurize the rest of the ship yeah. if you want to and just suck all the oxygen out so the aliens just suffocate. It's stuff like that, and you can like you get hull breaches and stuff like that, which then sucks or kills half your crew out. And it's just like, how intuitive is this game? And um, it is stupidly difficult, but I think probably because it's only on iOS, Mac, um, Windows, mm. I think that's probably why it's so limited. I mean, I'm grateful that they haven't tried to port it because I think a port would be horrific. You need a mouse control for it, I think. Yeah. Or touchscreen. And even touchscreen, I think I'd struggle because you need to be able to split second, open closed doors, aim weapons at what room you want to attack. If somebody's on the board, you need to click one of your crew members and send them to fight. Or, like you say, hide them all in one room and, and smoke them out with a with with re- removing the oxygen or hoping that they go into a room where there's a breach and it just kills them from no oxygen or fire or something like that. So yeah, you really need that split-second precise control that you're not going to get on a console unless you have a mouse adapter or something, which who does these days? So yeah, I think it it fits PC and then to a lesser extent touchscreens perfectly well. So I'd recommend getting that game. I think it it's, like you said, it's one of those you'll only plan on having a 10-minute game on it and you'll be playing it for about three or four hours because... You die and then you go, oh, well, I know what I should have done now or maybe I'm going to get a better roll of the dice next time and get an easier run of it. Because you get all sorts, don't you, like meteor storms that will just pepper your ship until you're ready to move or you go into some dense dense like fog and then you can't see where you're going next or you might encounter a, a pirate ship that you have to fight. There's all stuff like that and then you're constantly being chased, aren't you, by an armada, so you have to stay a couple of moves ahead otherwise you get into a fight that you're never going to win so it is it's one of those where you do actually when you win you feel so accomplished because you've actually managed to get it might be more luck than judgment but yeah if you actually get to the end and beat the end boss and and then you unlock another ship that's got better layout and stuff so then you you go oh I'm going to try again because I want to see how this ship works differently to that one and then before you know it you've been playing it all night <laughs> But we digress. Yeah, shall we stick it at 67 as well? Yeah. I think that's the fair thing to do. I wonder what score we're going to give Command and Conquer. <laughs> <laughs> I think if anyone is out there is saying, oh, well, they obviously script this bit. We, yeah. <laughs> we say it every episode, none of this is scripted. I mean, we had to record the intro twice today because I'd forgot <laughs> to introduce you, so it's definitely not scripted. Ah. Oh. Oh, right, <laughs> Command and Conquer, the first Command and Conquer, no less. Pretty sure I had it for PC, but I remember a lot more about Red Alert than I do the first one. Do you know, I was going to say that, I was going to say it is not my favourite, my favourite is Red Alert, but I think that's because I sort of, and I, I think enjoy is probably the wrong terminology, but I enjoy the Cold War aspect of it a bit more, than because mm. this is, it's sort of, all of Command and Conquer is sort of alternate world history, isn't it? 
yeah. and this is sort of loosely based on the Gulf War, which was a bit it was a bit of a shit war, really. <laughs> um, not that wars ever justified or anything like that, but it in broad strokes, it was a bit of a shitty one. And yeah, it's just sort of like an alternate world history where it's is it the G- GDI. So mm, the Global yeah. Defense Initiative or something like that, which is supposed to be NATO or the United Nations, essentially, versus the Brotherhood of Nod, which I just find <laughs> odd because it just sounds like a group of people that fall asleep. <laughs> yeah, I do. I I realised recently, because they did the re-release, didn't they? The remaster or whatever it was about four or five years ago. How hard that first game is. It's unbelievably yeah. difficult. Come. Compared to Red Alert, which Red Alert's difficult at points, but that first game is unforgiving from the first mission. I think I did the first mission about eight times before I managed to pass it, and that's literally because I got lucky and I'd hit a tank in the corner of one of the maps and they didn't find it, so then I could just sneak around the back of them all. But, yeah, there's one level where you have to... I think you have to infiltrate a base with, like, three dogs and and one spy, and I, I haven't done it. I've still not done it. That's why I stopped playing it because I can't figure out how to do it because they just get, no matter what angle you come into that base, they get annihilated. And I'm like, well, what can I do? I've even tried sending the dogs as a distraction and sending him to sneak in. Doesn't work. And there's nothing, I can't find, there's no tanks or anything for me to find to try and fix this problem. So I just stopped playing it. I tried it about 20 or 30 times. There's obviously a very specific way that you can do it. And I don't know what that is. So I just stopped playing Again, a reason why Red Alert is is more my f- favorite out of the two because one, they're not not quite as difficult, but two, you've got two different campaigns, haven't you? So get stuck on one, you can go to the other. And I think Command and Conquer One is like that as well, where you can play both sides, but yeah, both sides are pretty difficult as well. Whereas Command and Conquer the uh, Red Alert, the difficulty seems to vary significantly from what I remember the. Uh, the bad guys tend to have a little bit better equipment. Like they can, can't they like mind read people and stuff and just turn them to be their own troops if you build one of those towers and things like that. Yeah, I believe it's that they sort of have better equipment, but I think it costs more. Yeah. To build them, so if you do it, it's a bit like the Protoss in um, Starcraft. They cost a lot more to build, so if you get wiped out you are going to have to do some serious resource management in order to recoup your losses. Um, but they are a lot stronger than you. Um, so they need less units to actually sort of make an impact. Yeah, they're far better cutscenes. Yeah, yeah, they had better cutscenes. <laughs> yeah, way better cutscenes. I mean, terrible, terrible cutscenes, but more enjoyable. It was like the early era of FMV, wasn't it? So yeah. they all sort of looked like they were made out of plasticine. And I'm not even sure which game it's in, but I think Ric Flair's in one of them as a general. <laughs> like proper overacting to to the extreme in like full army get up. <laughs> so that, that's a fun one when you stumble across that. <laughs> Uh, but it was based on, um, apparently they started building it on the back of Dune 2. So Dune, the book and movie series, they built an RTS on that. Um, and then apparently they saw what they could do with that and were like, oh, what if we did it based on like contemporary wars? Um, mm. And that's where Command and Conquer sort of came from, really. It's one of those, I remember playing it in a like a 
PC World or a Curry's or whatever it would have been back then. On they had some laptop. No, it wouldn't. Have, it would have been desktops, wouldn't it? Back then they had some desktop PCs set up, and that was on one of them because they were trying to sell the PC and the game as like a this PC can play this game, so why not buy them both together? And I played it for ages. I don't know what my mum and dad were buying. It must have been like some some heavy duty like washing machine or fridge freezer, you know, like some big item that you can't just do on spur of the moment. So I got loads of time to play on that. And I remember back then getting stuck on the mission with the three bloody dogs and the one bloke. <laughs> and then like twenty five years later it just history repeated itself. There is actually in the um in the book, our our little Bible, a full list of I assume a full list. It says it is, but I don't know if I trust this book as far as I can throw it. But based on 2016, um, there is a full list of games. So what could be more fun than trying to get you to name them all? <laughs> oh, God. Um, okay. So I'll give, well, you, the, I'll give it... you the first one, Command and Conquer. <laughs> well, seeing as it ran all the way through to like 2020 when they did the remaster, I'm assuming the remaster isn't in there, seeing as you said 2016. The last one on the list is 2012. And just oh, right. to help okay. you out, Jesus. hold on a second. There's 15 of them. Okay. Well, there's Red Alert. <laughs> uh, yes, Red Alert. I'll give you that one. Oh, hold on. Let me get um, a pen and I'll cross them off. I'll do it professionally. <laughs> Doesn't help. I'm in literally in the dark again because it's got dark earlier than I expected it to. So I'll give you Command and Conquer. The one that and... like Command and Conquer... Covert Ops or Black Ops or something like that. Covert Operations, nineteen ninety six. That was that was in between Command and Conquer and Red Alert, which I didn't realise there was one came out between those two. No, neither did I. Um, and they didn't call it Command and Conquer two, which is weird. <laughs> yeah. Um. So there were about four Red Alert titles. So yeah, there's Command and Conquer Red Alert two in two thousand. And then there's is it Command and Conquer Red Alert. Counter Strike? Let me have a look. No, I've not got that one on my list. Um, Aftermath? No, you're just saying words now. There is one that's. Uh... So I'll give you Command and Conquer Red Alert 3 because she said there's like loads of Command and Conquer Red Alerts. So that was 2008. Uh, there is a Command and Conquer 3 something else, which is just literally one word. Like retribution or. Ooh, retaliation? So no, it's so close. Well, relatively close. I give it you revenge. Uprising. Uprising. Oh, uprising. Um, um, Command and Conquer Tiberian Sun because it's yes. all about the Tiberian Wars. Nineteen ninety nine um, between Red Alert and Red Alert Two. Is it Soul Survivor? No, that's Resident Evil, isn't it? No, I'm sure there's a Soul Survivor. <laughs> it's not on my list. There's. I'll give you a couple of clues. So there's a spin-off from Red Alert 2, but it's not called Red Alert. It's just called Command and Conquer something. One of the more popular characters in Red Alert 2. Oh, Revenge of Cain, is it? No, close. Or re- um, so that's later. That is later in the series. That's Cain's Wrath, I'll give you that. Oh, there we go. That was 2008. The spin-off of Red Alert 2 was Yuri's Revenge. Yuri's Revenge, yeah. So you've got uh, four left in the middle and then one right at the end. Command and Conquer Renegade? I'm sure they did a load with like RE subtitles 
Renegade is one, yeah, I'll give you that. That was 2002 for the PC. Uh, so there's two that the name's practically the same. I didn't even know all these existed. Um, Command and Conquer Zero Hour, if I remember one of them. No, again, not on my list. Oh, no, yes, it is, sorry. So it's this is the one where they're named nearly the same. So it's actually Command and Conquer Generals Zero Hour, and then there's just Command and Conquer Generals. Both came out in the same year, so I don't know if one's like an expansion, maybe. Yeah, probably. I would think so. So you've got one, two left to get. Did I say Tiberium Wars? Right, so you said Tiberium Sun and Tiberium Wars. It's Command and Conquer 3 Tiberium Wars. 3 Tiberium Wars. So you've got one left to get, the most recent, the 2012 one. Uh... It's got Tiberium in it again. It's a ridiculous name. Second word begins with... Ridiculous name convention. A. Alliance. Yeah, Tiberium Alliances. Oh, there we go. And that was a web browser game, so I bet that was good. Oh, God, I bet that was horrific. <laughs> oh, God. Command and Conquer the Flash game, I bet that was fun. <laughs> I didn't expect you to get out of any of them, so you've done quite well there. There we go. Give like I say, one. it's one of those that it's always at sort of at the forefront of gaming. If ever there is a new, or in the past, if ever, because the last one was like 2020, but if ever there was a new Command and Conquer game, it always got a load of hype around it. It always got yeah. put on the side of buses. And it was always like Crisis. If your PC could play it, it was a good PC. Yeah, yeah. It was like a litmus test. I wonder if they got in any trouble with it, because it's it's very, very thinly veiled portrayal of Russians, isn't it, in a lot of them, and yeah. the sort of Soviet Union aspect of it all. I wonder if it ever got banned in any countries or didn't get released, because I could 100% see places like Russia being, no, we're not releasing and, this game, it doesn't paint us in a very good light. Yeah, but it does, do, I mean, I, I can't think of any game series that has portrayed Russians that was American made, <laughs> that has portrayed the Russians in any sort of favourable light at all because they're always worried about bloody communism. <laughs> the thing about Command and Conquer is it doesn't particularly paint the Americans in that good of a light either. They're a bit stupid as well, they say. It, it <laughs> yeah. doesn't do anyone any massive favours. As as the British, I think we were enjoying it most because it was poking fun at both sides and we just got to sit in the middle and laugh. And I'm sure there must have been some British parodies in one of them to take the mickey out of us. But I didn't realise there was that many games. I, I thought there was one, two... Uh, one red alert three and i knew about tiberian wars i think it was all the rest just passed me by and it, it wasn't i loved those games when i was younger i mean I, I i lent more towards age of empires i preferred age of empires for i don't know why it's probably the historical it's probably the fact that you could type a code and you got a car with a rocket launcher on the back of it that would just go around <laughs> and annihilate everything so when i got bored of actually doing it properly i just typed that in and it was game over forever i was facing I like Command and Conquer, but I obviously didn't keep up with the series. But back in the day when it first came out, yeah, I really enjoyed it. My PC could actually play it, which was a miracle in itself. And I did clock up a lot of hours on Command and Conquer, even though I kept hitting this level where I just couldn't get past it. Probably played Red Alert on Red Alert 2 a lot more. But as we said with um, UFO, you don't have that first one. You don't have the sequels, do you? So it's got to place 
relatively highly because it, it had so much influence on. They were they were real time strategy games came before this, but none of them hit like this one did, did they? This one it became mainstream and it smashed it, and everyone was talking about it, and everyone like you say was on the sequels. Oh, there's a new Command and Conquer coming out. Are you going to get it? Have you seen it? It's being advertised all over the place. There's, I think they even had TV spots at one point advertising yeah, they it. Did. Which for for a game a PC game in this, especially in this genre, but in general, almost unheard of. Other than Warcraft, I can't remember many PC games that get TV adverts. No, um, and I think I think the games industry need, probably needs to give it up as a bad job porting RTS into consoles. Yeah, the, it's never It's worked. not suited for it, and they did. They started it with Red Alert, where they started porting them all in, and I think they had the first Red Alert, and then they didn't do the like the subtitled sequels, and then mm. they I think they did like the Game of the Year edition, where they added in all the DLC for it and the sub releases. But yeah, stuff like Halo Wars, which has spun off from it because it's a Bungie title and it belongs on the Xbox. Again, the interface is not designed for thumbsticks. It's just not, they're not precise enough and you're not responsive enough. Clicking and dragging to try and select a group of people yeah. on a console, on a, on a control pad is painful to do because you can't, I mean, you can sort of with a thumbstick go diagonally but not accurately. So you end up having to click, go left, then go down to create a square, and then you'll invariably select someone you don't want to select, so you have to write cancel that, start again. And when you're in the, the midst of war and there's people at your gate trying to smash their way in and you're trying to gather a, a round of troops to go and fight them and you can't select them properly, it just gets frustrating and then it just becomes an exercise in trying to get the few troops you've got left to do what you want to do because the rest have been picked off before you can send the others to support them. And yeah, you're right. It is not, unless you can plug a mouse into your console, which I know you can on Xbox, I assume you can on PlayStation, but it's not practical, is it? When you can get it for a PC and the older ones will run on pretty much any PC these days, I would have thought. There's no reason to play it on a console unless you literally don't have a PC. And if you can plug a uh, keyboard and mouse into your PlayStation, I don't think the living room's the right place to be playing it, really, because no. <laughs> how far do you want a mouse to stretch? Because invariably, if it's Bluetooth, it's not going to register the distance. And yeah, um, but on the subject of ports and porting it to consoles, I didn't realise that the... Because they did a port to the N64 for yeah. Command and Conquer, and it was done by Looking Glass Studios, of all people, or all companies, because they did, like, Thief the Dark Project. They also did Destruction Derby, and they were, like, the um, design team behind System Shock and System Shock 2. So why, all of a sudden, they took away from the development team for Command <laughs> and Conquer and went, these lads who've designed games purely for PC at this point, because Thief... System Shock were all PC exclusive titles. These guys will know how to port it onto an N64. The N64 version looked like shit as well, from what I remember. Because things on N64 look quite muddy anyway. So when you put a, a green and brown map with little little camo guys running around, yeah. blending into the background, so you can't even see where your own troops are on the map, it just it looks awful. It just, it was too much. And my mate had it, and I, I just said, why have you bought it for this? 
you've got a PC sat there that would play this game no problem. Why have you spent 40 quid getting it on a, <laughs> an inferior cartridge port that you have to control with that horrible analog stick on the N64 controller? <laughs> it just beggars belief. And to make matters worse, it couldn't handle FMVs, the N64. Yeah. So they literally had to do still screen. (laughs) It had to do still screenshots with like text boxes over the top to give you the gist of the story. So in in all aspects, really, it was just a really bad port (laughs) and just a bad idea to do it. They should have given up at that point. Do you know what? They're not (laughs) designed for console. Let's just stop. Oh, dear. Although I would have like, I know he wasn't in that game, but I would have loved to just see it. A still of Ric Flair pop up <laughs> with his hangdog face and his little <laughs> his little army outfit on. <laughs> I'm going to find the picture and send it you after this because it is it is brilliant. If it doesn't form part of the thumbnail for this for this episode, oh yeah, it could do, couldn't it? Although isn't he? I think he's quite litigious. I don't know if I want to put him in our thumbnail. He might kick off. <laughs> with the, we've already got Dino Dini out for our blood. I don't think we need Ric Flair after us as well. Yeah, that's fair. Are we giving it a 77? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we may as well, aren't we? I know what the title of this episode is going to be. <laughs> oh, dear. Right, well, we've gone over, which, again, I didn't expect on those three games, but we've we've done well. Pat on the back. I will get straight into Patreon, as, as always. If you want to subscribe, we are actually putting out a bonus episode hopefully this week so before this comes out there should already be a new bonus episode out but that does depend on how much of it needs editing because we recorded it when my microphone setup was not in the best position and all you can hear is me heavy breathing like I'm on some sort of uh, saucy phone line in the background so it might take me a while to edit that out and and also it was a period of time when I was going through a phase of just saying the word like after every other word through I assume nerves, which I still do now, but I'm I'm more attuned to, to cutting it out. So it'll take me a while to edit that together. It'll be half the length when I've cut all the times I say like out of it. But hopefully that will be out on Patreon. So if you want to go and listen to that and me make a fool of myself simping over somebody who made a game I used to play about 10 years ago, that's probably up on Patreon now. So you can go to patreon.com slash bucketlessgamers Subscribe to any tier, bucket kicker and above, and you will get that episode early. Or you can be one of those people that waits for it to come out on all the other platforms in a month and doesn't support us that we love anyway. Said through gritted teeth. No, I'm joking. We're we're happy for any listens we get. But yeah, if you do want to support us on Patreon, it means the world and you do get a little bit of something back every so often. Such as the little shout outs we do. So in the couple of coins tier, we're shouting out Lee this week. In the Bucket Kickers tier, we've got Dino Dini and the Sweaty Llama. And in the Avatarnish tier, we've got Atropos. So once again, thank you to you guys. The bill came in the other day and it immediately got paid with the the money that you've donated. So it really is appreciated. But on that note, I don't think we've got anything else to say on these RTSs. Lemmings feels like a lifetime ago now. Thankfully. Hopefully not for you listeners. You've you've enjoyed it so much that it's it's whizzed through, and you're going to go back to the beginning and listen to it all again. But for us recording it, it seems like years ago since we talked about lemmings. So I'm going to go and and play it. And if I'm not here for next week's episode, it's because it's driven me to uh, driven me to chuck myself off a snowy cliff. And on that note, I will say that's goodbye from me. <laughs> and that's goodbye from me.